getting as close to the process as possible, self-reflection, listening, getting to yes, all pieces of advice that Todd Andrews gave me and our industry in today's podcast. I hope you enjoy talking about isolation, affiliations, just simple teamwork and some introspection. I hope you enjoy Todd as much as I did. This episode was brought to you by experience.care, the long-term care EHR backed by guarantees. Visit experience.care forward slash guarantee to get your free profitability consultation today. Hello, and welcome back to LTC Heroes. We've got a great episode in store for you today. Joining me is Todd Andrews. Todd is currently the president of the CCRC division of Asbury Communities, Inc. He has over 26 years of experience in developing both people and businesses, and I'm excited to see what insight he has to provide for us. So, Todd, welcome to LTC Heroes. Thank you, Peter. Love to be here. Todd, today, I know that we're going to talk about some of your projects with affiliations before COVID. We're going to talk about kind of a, a catchphrase that I think your team identifies you with, which is getting to yes. And we'll move in and out of different topics. But before we dive in, I want to ask you, what tactical, actionable, strategic advice do you think that we will talk about today that would be helpful for the industry? I think, as you mentioned, how do you get to yes? So we're going to talk a lot about how do we come out of COVID? What things should we be thinking about? And everybody's challenged with the same type of ideas. How do we better serve the, the elders that we care for? How do we engage families differently? All that kind of stuff, I think, is going to be very important to talk about today. And I also think that We'll talk a little bit about some learnings that probably I've had over the years and things that have gone well and some that haven't gone so well, too. Great. Vulnerability is always appreciated on the program. Next, I want to ask you is, what lesser known resource would you recommend I turn to to better understand long-term care? There's tons of resources out there, but I will tell you, for me, the best resource is the people that I know that work in the industry in various different parts of the country that I've gotten to be friends with over time, that I've been in competition with in one way, shape, or form over time, that I've met at conferences, that I've heard experts speak on topics. All that stuff, I think, is it's easy to forget sometimes the wealth of knowledge you have in your network. And I think using that network is very wise when it comes to we're in uncharted times. We're all learning this as we go. And I think you could go to a book and we all read plenty of management books, but I get a lot more from friends and colleagues in the industry. Great. I think that probably encompasses the third question, which is, do you have a mentor you turn to? Because it sounds like you have a large community and circle of mentors. Is that fair to say? It's really fair to say you can't work in this wonderful day and age without creating really solid relationships, even with people you're in competition with. I call it coopetition, where we might be in communities in the same town vying for residents to come live with us, but we're also trying to solve the same problems. And, and I'm not a big believer of you try to do everything yourself. You got to work with others and partner and work within the communities to solve problems. That's a great transition to kind of the first topic I want to jump right into. The first time I chatted with you, I think the way that I asked you is if I were to interview your staff and ask them what they would say about you or what kind of great advice you help lead with, you said they would probably say, I like to talk to the, use the phrase getting to yes. 
And it was a unique phrase for me because we're still in the middle of a pandemic. And I don't know if there's a lot of getting to yes talk these days. I'm wondering how you came to that term in your life. Do you remember where you discovered it and realized that it was helpful for you and your framework? I actually do. Um, And it's something that kind of uses kind of a guiding principle, my entire leadership journey, so to speak, and through failures and successes. How do you get to yes is very applicable to most every situation. And really, in this pandemic, we were challenged with having to create barriers to keep COVID out of our communities, to, to create barriers for people to be able to have physical contact with each other and to do activities and all the different things that we learned every day. And we were pivoting constantly with CDC guidance one day, you know, this guidance would come tomorrow. Well, don't do it this way, do it that way. And everybody was just learning. And I kept challenging my team with how do you get to yes? And and what I mean by that is you can't always say yes to everything, but what do we have to do to get to a point where we're listening to people that we employ and we're figuring out ways to get to yes with simple things like working and schedules and equipment and things that they need to do their job? You know, how do we get to yes? And then how do we get to yes when it comes to this pandemic? How do we get people to come to get on the campus when, when the guidance is, you know, lock her down and keep people safe and all those kind of things. And it wasn't easy and it still isn't easy, but it's something I think is very important. It's kind of a guiding principle in the way that you approach your day because it's easy to get pulled into that mundane of action, response, move on to something else because you're bombarded with all kinds of different things. And how do you get to yes? If you always go into the conversation trying to figure that out, it makes your life a little better. You know, you're a little happier. You smile a little more because saying no kind of stinks. Do you remember at what point in your life you started to use it in leadership? Were you 20 years old? Did you put the quote together in your mind when you were 40? No, no. For me, it happened in my first real like department head level job where I was the leader and I and I ran a food service, a housekeeping and a maintenance department in a um not-for-profit nursing home that was very large, 400 beds. And back in the day, that was common, not something you see anymore. And there was a lot of union discord. And I was probably, let's see, in my late 20s. So I was just kind of getting over the you know it all or you you don't know anything and kind of starting to create some things in my mind. And I'll never forget that the statement was made in kind of a department head meeting by a person who I would consider an early mentor of mine was the CFO of this place. And normally CFOs, they're kind of crusty and they they like to say no to most things and no offense to any CFOs out there, but a lot of times they don't say yes to a lot of stuff that that us operators might want. And there's reasons for that because us operators tend to be dreamers too. And their job is to keep the money in line. And then the quote was, the union demands had come in and the contract was getting negotiated. And the quote was, well, how do we get to yes on some of this stuff so we actually start having progress? Because I've come to like 20 meetings in a row and we're making no progress here. And that just stuck to me. And it wasn't about the union. It wasn't about the contract. It was about life in general. It's like, you know, as the manager or the leader, I tend to use leadership now as the term, you know, as the leader, how do you get to yes, when you're dealing with 
customer service issues when you're dealing with labor problems or issues that you're trying to solve around recruitment or whatever? How do you get to yes? How do you get to a place where you can do things that people want you to do? I really believe in customer service and hospitality. And very recently, there's been a lot of talk in the industry around the most important thing for people when they choose to live in seniors communities is around healthcare. And I completely disagree with that. Healthcare is important and it always will be important and it'll always be a cornerstone. But I still believe it's lifestyle. I still believe it's amenities. I still believe it's customer service and the people that's, that work there. I think that's so key. And residents will always ask for things. And I have this, you know, just this drive to get to yes. And it doesn't mean you say yes to everything, but what is it that you can do to make it better? What is it that you can do to get you along the journey instead of just saying, no, we can't do that? Because that's not customer service. And nobody's going to want to live in a place where everything is a no. Can you think of an example where you, I don't want to say misdiagnosed, misdiagnosed, used or I guess misdirected yes, or maybe immaturely. And you're like, man, my getting to yes should have been a little bit slower. My getting to yes should have included another person. My getting to yes means I should have had conversations before I tried to figure out the solution. All of it. <laughs> Absolutely give, all give of it. me an example. So, I so I can learn now. And that's the thing. Sometimes, and especially in situations that are of high tension, the best leaders know how to take a breath and engage others or think about things differently, look at it from a 360 degrees versus saying, sure, we can do that. And not really thinking about all the what I'll call unintended consequences of yes sometimes. Mm. Because remember, when you say yes a lot, people start thinking you're going to say yes to everything. And then you start having to say no, which kind of takes you out of where you want to be. It's not something that I like put a sign up to say, how do we get to yes? But it's like when teams have conversations and, and I have another saying is don't come to me with a 20 problems. Let's come to me with some, some solutions to said problems. What do you think we should do versus what I think we should do? Because Listening to people closest to the process is the way to get things done in my mind. If there's an issue in, on a nursing unit, the people who work the nursing unit, should they know how we should solve it. They may ask the question, but they know how it should be solved or what resource might be needed or what we should be doing differently. The trick is, is how do you get them to tell you in a way that's productive and positive and it's not like that we're not listening along the way. Can you think of a specific instance? in the last year or two where you wish you had, you would have redefined getting to yes in another way to approach it a little bit differently? The closest thing I could think of, and, and there's probably a ton of them, is that during this pandemic, we were pivoting every day and we were trying really hard how to figure out how to get to yes with stuff. And really it was quality of life things. How do we get wellness to people that are quote unquote quarantined? So we developed a, a process where we had wellness people out in the parking lot with bullhorns and people doing exercise programs on their balcony. Wasn't ideal, wasn't perfect. People still couldn't see each other because there was, you know, little blockers between the balconies. A lot of people did that. It wasn't like we invented that, but that was how to get to yes in a way that wasn't perfect. And we just did quickly. And then, then we thought about it and said, okay, what if we were to do this? What if we were to go? 
hear and do it a little bit differently? You know, how can we get people more engaged? What could we do through technology? What could we do in person? What could we do in small groups? It was all that kind of stuff because the challenge was the topic of isolation and people endured that. It wasn't just residents. It was also your staff that was isolated from the real world because it was work. It was home. It was work. It was home. There wasn't nothing else going on. Nobody felt safe. So people were isolated in their own home. That's a great transition. And I'm going to come back to yes, I'm certain, because I feel like it could pull or tease a lot of insight and advice from you on that. And I'm, I'm asking as a, as a listener, I'm asking as a, as, a, as a disciple trying to learn as well. Isolation, I think, is a big topic. It's obviously trending. The first time you and I talked about it, you talked about how much of effect it had on your community and you felt that it might be the biggest issue. And I remember a specific word you said, I won't use getting back to normal. Let's get back to now. What does that mean, get back to now? And how does it relate to today's isolation issue? It's cliche to say getting back to normal, right? Like we all like would like to go back to some things that we had prior to COVID, but we don't know when that might be. And it's easy to always, for dreamers like myself, who are always thinking about the future and what should we be doing to position ourselves differently from not only a business perspective, but a personal perspective, whatever. It's always a challenge when you have to think about the little things in life. And it's like, we wear masks and some places are trying to, you know, some states don't wear the masks as well as others. And you'll see people. And now it's like, you see somebody at a gas station without a mask and you're like, what are you doing? You know, where have you been for the last year? People make personal choices. I mean, there's people out there that don't think there's even a pandemic, that the complete, it was completely made up. For me, I think it's the now. It's like, here's where we are. Let's make the best of where we are. We would love to have things differently. I'd love to have every person in this country vaccinated today, but that's not possible. It's going to take, you know, months, if not another year to get to that point. And we're moving in that direction, but this is the now. While it's easy, I'll give you an example. You know, we've got a very high vaccination rate in our communities. So of course we've got staff saying, do we really need to still wear these masks? We've all been vaccinated. So is the residents. And that's not where we are now. We hope to be back there someday, but that's still not where we are. And I've got residents pushing, you know, maybe we should go, you know, everybody's been vaccinated. We don't need to wear masks anymore. But you can all be a carrier for someone else, as can an employee. That's the science. So we have to be where we are now. And that's still where we are now. Progress, yes, but we're not where we want to be ultimately. So it's where we are today. Are there any permanent or semi-permanent effects of social isolation that you don't know if your residents will ever recover from? That's a great question. I don't know if I would say something that we'll never recover from, but I can tell you this. I've got residents who have lived through all kinds of terrible things in their life that have taken this in stride. It's just another part of life and they've made the best out of it. But topic of your podcast is long-term care. So there's multiple facets to that. So if we speak specifically of people who have passed away, whether it's COVID or not during this pandemic, you can't get that back. And that bothers me every single day. I got a letter from a family member yesterday who regrets her father going into one of our nursing homes, not because we didn't give great care, because 
she couldn't come to see him. She could only see him through glass. And she wishes that she quit her job to take care of him at home, knowing she couldn't. But it's after the fact, you still feel that way. What if, right? It's the whole what if argument. We all have that in our brain. What if I did this? What if I did that differently? That's the difficult thing. You know, I think the legacy of what we've endured as society will live on for a long period of time. And I also think that the impact on people is long lasting. It is for me as well. I still, to every single day, worry about bringing COVID home to my little one. And I've been vaccinated and I'm careful and I work in healthcare and I take all the precautions and do everything you're supposed to do. And it never leaves my mind if that was to happen. And I'm not alone. I'm sure that every person who works in long-term care, every nurse who's out there every day, you know, in full PPE with N95 and all that stuff worries about going home, Mm. that they made the slightest mistake that could bring that into their family. Is there anything that COVID has helped us improve related to social isolation? Because isolation was a problem before COVID. It was family members quit visiting their family. Isolation was an issue. Is there anything that you think our industry has improved upon and will forever be improved upon with the specific topic of isolation? Absolutely. Communication, technology, those two pieces. Okay. So what I mean by that is we've always tried to move technology forward in senior living. Any, doesn't matter, talk about a nursing home or assisted living or residential. Technology is, uh, some people have accepted it. Some people said, I'm 87 years old. What do I need a smartphone for? I've got a plug-in phone. I've got a TV. I'm fine. Well, when COVID started and people couldn't see each other anymore, the only way to do that was through technology, iPads and smartphones. The number of people who now, who would have been staunchly against technology, I don't need that. You couldn't see your grandchildren. I guarantee you learned how to use FaceTime and you Mm. figured it out and you went out and got a phone because we've been challenged for years to get people to come down the technology circle, right? I've got residents that say, you know what, those Alexa things, that just gives you an opportunity to listen to what we're saying. That's how they feel because that's the generation they grew up that that happened back, you know, in time in history. So that has never left their mind. You know, we were able to do some fabulous things around technology using FaceTime technology to get to in front of residents so they could see their families at a certain time that we had set up. And we bought robots to try to do that too. And we spent money that thinking we could do stuff that we ultimately couldn't do. We had to try around communication and technology. And the the good news is, is I think coming out of this, more seniors will accept technology enhancements because they've seen the advantage of them from a different perspective call it forced, if you will. It was forced upon us to be more technologically savvy. You and I on this Zoom call, how many Zoom calls did you have in 2019 with people? No, we had meetings and we had to have offices and we had to have you know the departments get together face-to-face and we figured out a way to function without being in the same room and quite frankly, get more done because of technology. I'm a firm believer that COVID hasn't been all bad. There's been some good, there's been terrible heartache aside. I'm talking about opportunities to get to yes in a different way through technology, through better communication, through people being more open, people listening better. I can tell you my team has came together for a common cause 
in eight different cities in the country. They came together for a common cause. They were on calls every day. Now, these people might not only see them each other once a quarter. They might talk on a phone once a while beforehand. Now they were seeing each other's face every single day and having conversations about how to make care and lifestyle better for our residents. That's going to continue as we go forward because now people have created relationships that would have taken years to create in a very short period of time. Indeed. I remember asking asking you, what's the biggest challenge that you've gone through in the last two or three years unrelated to COVID? And you said something along the lines of, well, COVID made it harder. And it was having to do with your affiliation. Can you talk to me about what you did with an affiliation, how involved with, were you and kind of talk to me the beginning days. How did the conversation start? Why did they start? Which end? Who brought up the conversation? It actually precedes me in the organization at, at Asbury. The, the conversations were happening with the senior team of both organizations. And from my understanding, affiliations can be a little bit tricky because at the end of the day, you're still going to have governance on both sides that's going to want to retain the governance, right? So you got a board on both organizations a lot of times. And eventually, many times they'll morph into one, but not always. And it's identity, right? It's culture. It's all those things. It's easy. In my mind, it's much easier to put a business deal together than it is to put a culture deal together. Like how do cultures fit with each other? What happens if you have Two heads of nursing. Do you still have two heads of nursing? All those things you can work through. But the cultural stuff isn't so easy because both organizations have been around for a very long time in our case. Both were very strong in their operations, in their heritage, in their beliefs. And they came together in a way that was a very generative process. The affiliation brought a lot of new things to our organization that we didn't have from the perspective of you know, a pharmacy a life program, which is called PACE in a lot of areas of the country. We didn't have that. And for us, it was bringing clinical expertise and financial work and all kinds of different things, dining and housekeeping and all different things to make them better. And COVID made that harder because it was real hard to move along your plan because every plan went away. You know, I had before this role, I was in a master planning role and I had all these wonderful plans that I was getting ready to start sitting down with residents to talk about based on feedback I had got from them. I all went on hold. It's, it's not gone, but it's on hold because we had to focus on keeping people safe and keeping COVID out of our buildings and all the things that went along with that. And for those people listening, they know what I mean. Like every The world didn't stop. But all the stuff we were thinking about stopped for a while while we got our, our sea legs under us, if you will, to be able to battle the pandemic and keep people safe. Where are you at in the evolution of the affiliation and what's left to be done? Sure. So finance, operations, all that stuff has really moved down. There's still things to do in all of it. The challenge now is integrating technology, EMR, finance back office. You know, stuff like that that you think, ah, no big deal. Well, it is a big deal because getting on a common platform isn't always the easiest thing to do because it's not just turning a switch and saying we're on a common platform. It's understanding, it's access, it's making sure people understand what it means, what I've always had, I might not have anymore, the training and development that goes along with that, hours and hours and hours of the technology. And believe me, I'm not a, I talk technology, I'm a user. 
I'm not a builder, so I have no idea how these, and you, you know how the EMR works from the backside. I just know when it doesn't work that people aren't happy, but mm-hmm. I couldn't go and fix it. That's mm-hmm. where folks like you are experts in that. So all that stuff is very tedious. And when you're battling a pandemic and you're working through that, it's like really difficult to do that because you can't bring the tech guy into the office with the computer sitting over somebody's shoulder, right? We're supposed to be staying away from each other. So it just made everything move a little bit slower. I think we did a phenomenal job in how far we've gotten so far during a pandemic. And how do we get to yes? You know, we've got common HR policies and all that kind of stuff. If you think about it from a pure business perspective, there's so much to do. There's so much to do. And and these things take time. You've referred to yourself a number of times as a dreamer. I'm wondering how you balance that between executing and planning. And do you do that out loud in your mind? Do you do it with your team? Do you look for a counterpart who kind of keeps you in balance? And so you can lean in 100% to the dream and you just trust your person who puts the brakes on you. What does it look like in your work environment? So I'll answer this question this way. In 2019, actually it was late 2018, I decided to make a career change. And I was the operator's operator. I wasn't the dreamer. I was the tactician. Figure it out, fix it. That was my my world is chalk the field and I'll play the game to use a euphemism. When I made the decision to do that is because I didn't like that. It's not that it was a bad job. It's just it was so easy when that's what you were. As people out there that might be listening, the term operator means you're kind of a doer, right? You're doing things all the time. You know, the the C-suite, a lot of times is the people who dream about it and the operators execute the vision and the dream. I was the executor. And I really sat down with myself, so to speak, and said, you know what? I'd like to look at life a little bit different. I look at my career a little bit differently and I'd like to, to make a change. You know, maybe the term dreamer is something that came out of this conversation, but I spent a lot of time at night when I don't sleep thinking about how we can be better. I don't know if I'd call it dreaming because I'm really not sleeping, but it's really thinking about problem, but I don't think about the solutions. I think about what are the problems, what are the challenges, and then how do we solve them in innovative ways versus I chalk the field and the staff goes out and figures it out. It's like, where's the resources to that? How do we make it so that the dream becomes a reality? It doesn't become something else to put on somebody's to-do list that isn't that important to them. It's that kind of thought process. And I tend to, I tend to a lot of times from a, to use a perspective that I really like is listening to those closest to the process. And I might've mentioned that earlier in this is, you know, to solve problems, listen to the people closest to the process and then dream about how do you macro that? So it's not a micro solution. It's a macro solution. And how do you take it when you work in a system of, of locations like I do, how do you make sure that that stuff's available across the system and it don't end up being islands that are all doing kind of different things to solve the same problem. I'm really interested in how you made the pivot from the doer operator to the dreamer. Is there anything you can identify that when you started to process it in your mind that you wanted to be different, you wanted to make a pivot? I know that I can kind of relate to it in my own life. I think that I was 
probably a doer. And then about three years into my business partner was so much of a dreamer. I think just being around him, I'm like, oh man, he just sees the world differently. And he's more helpful than I am right now. I need to pick up that skill set. Do you remember when you started to pick that up? I think I started picking it up probably about 10 or 12 years ago in small little snippets as you mature as you mature in who you are as a person, as you mature in who you are as a professional, and you're surrounded by other people, if you really start paying attention, I have a tendency to see weakness in myself before strength sometimes. And that's an exhausting place to be. And one of the cool things about dreaming a little bit or a lot of it is that you see the strengths in yourself more than the weaknesses. And it's much easier to sleep at night that way. And much easier to focus on the go forward. Because here's the thing. You can't change yesterday. You can only learn from it and get better. And there was a point in my career where I just was exhausted from just blocking and tackling all the time. You know, and playing the game and then the game is over and you're just whipped. And you're thinking to yourself, there's got to be more to it than this. There's got to be something this job you go home every day that you don't like or you don't feel good about. And you get up the next day and your feet hit the floor and you're like, Oh, mother, you know, if that's what you're doing, that's a long life to live. And I remember, you know, just starting to think to myself, there's got to be more than that. And there's got to be a better way. And you start challenging yourself when you read. I read not a lot. My wife will tell you that, you know, I don't read enough. You know, I'll read half a book instead of the whole book sometimes. And when I'm talking about like learning books and, you know, I'll get stuck on one thing. And then it's like, that's what I'm excited about. I wish I was a better reader sometimes. I don't know. I would say 10 or 12 years ago, you just look in the mirror and say, is this what I'm going to do for the next 25 years? Or am I going to make a change? And the way I think. The follow-up question on kind of the dreamer, the dreamer I have for you is, I feel like that's tied to two things that you've said. One is how to get to yes, or do you think that that's completely neutral from operator to dreamer? And then the the related second comment that I have, and I'll let you take it from there is you talked about getting as close to the process as possible. Are those, is this a triangular, triangular relationship? Are they unrelated or do you see them as integrated in one way or another? I think they're integrated. It's kind of like the legs of a stool. You know, if there's only two of the three together, the stool probably isn't going to stand. I think they are integrated. And one of the interesting things as I sit here and ponder your questions, which, by the way, are very good questions. You should be proud of yourself. They're very good questions. (laughs) They're really making me think not so much about what I'm going to say, but about how I got there to the thought process, which that's good. Anyways, I think that Listening to people closest to the process is a way to, to solve things, but there has to be somebody to kind of stay back a little bit and think about, okay, there's the tactical answer. What's the strategy here? What's the, you know, how can we take this bigger and not make it such a minute solve? What else is in this? It might not just be part of this very conversation. How does it apply to other conversations you might have about other issues you're trying to tackle? And I think that's where it becomes important to have somebody who can can make synergies and, and maybe dreaming is the wrong thing, but make synergies and then go out and start thinking about how can we do this differently? How do we get to yes, but how do we do it different than we do today? Mm-hmm. You know, how do we still have the outcome that's good, but in a different way that's more efficient? Or 
easier or and I'll, I'll go back to our conversation about you know medical records electronic medical records it's like if you got to click seven or eight things people lose interest you know it's how can you do things in one or two clicks i implemented a technology within our organization about a year ago and the residents come back and they're like i got to click five times i've already lost interest so i don't care what you got on the fifth page because i'm never getting that. And I had to figure out how to make it one or two clicks, no more, that you could get to everything on that site in one or two clicks. And that was a challenge for the company we were partnering with because they they were like, well, you can't do it that way. And I was like the dreamer that says, well, we better figure it out because seniors aren't going to click four or five times on their smartphone that they're just learning how to use to get to the phone list so they can dial their friend. It's got to be boom, boom, and it's that's it. And they figured it out. And we figured it out together as partners. And I think that that's what I mean by that. It's like, you know, listening to what people are really saying and then figuring out a way to deliver. I know that someone who's listening is going to accuse me of playing couch psychologist, Todd, but I want to follow up again because I've never heard of someone who's made a pivot from doer to dreamer. I don't know. I'm guessing you're 50. I will be 50 in August. Yes. Okay. So someone who made, made the change from doer 45, I would have felt much better by <laughs> I'm guessing you're 40, Todd. <laughs> um, someone who's made a change that late in life. I'm guessing other people in your life have noticed it. Any family members, your partner, a cousin, someone in your work be like, Todd, you, then they might not put the words on it the same way that we're talking about it. Have you noticed any reactions in your atmosphere, work or personal? Well, you'd have to ask my wife that question because she, she might be a better interview than me and probably she would, quite frankly. She hasn't said anything to you, had many reflections? <laughs> no, but the one thing about her that, that's all part of this is she knows exactly how to challenge me to think differently about things in a good way, not in a aggressive, not in a, you know, where I feel lesser. It's just, you know, she just has a way about the questions she asks me sometimes and, and she'll tell you, you know, I talk a lot. You can tell I can I can talk with the best of them and I can filibuster with a senator. But when she and I are having conversations, I do way more listening than talking. And that's because I learn every day I learn. You know, there was a point when you asked me, you know, when it might have changed. I think it's a point in everybody's life where they become you're learning in college. But the reason you're learning for most people is to acquire a skill to get a job to go do something, right? And as you do your career, which most people's career does, you know, moves in many different directions. I've worked in senior living since I was 17 years old. That's mm -hmm. all I've ever done. And it's been a knock on me, quite frankly. I haven't gotten jobs because of that very fact that I was interested in because I was quote unquote a one trick pony. I think it's when you start seeing that learning is how to make yourself better, not only with what you do professionally, but what you do personally. And like everybody else, I've made lots of mistakes and learned from some of them and made some of them more than once and had to learn them, learn a hard lesson multiple times. I think being a parent is a good example of that. It's very easy to say what you'll do until you're in the heat of the moment. You're, in my case, I'll pick on my 26-year-old son is calling you, asking you for money, and you're thinking to yourself, I never asked my parents for money when I was 26. What are you doing? But then what's that going to gain me as a parent? Hmm. You know, that's the tough love thing. I mean, I grew up in tough love environment. You know, if you weren't the best, you were second is first loser. That was it. That was how I grew up. And 
to be that kind of parent is very easy because guess what? We all, whether we want to admit it or not, we have tendencies of the way we were brought up that come out in certain circumstances. And the important thing is, is to learn from that and not continue that behavior if that's behavior you don't like. And I've had plenty of that. You've put up with me going all over the place, even putting you on the couch as if I were a shrink. I admit out loud, the reason that I've been really interested in your story and also in getting to yes, and I was just now putting all of this together, two and two together, is my favorite class that I took in college was a negotiation class. And now you talking about getting to yes reminds me of that famous book that I read back then. Well, Todd, we've gone all over the place. Is there anything that you are passionate about in these topics that I haven't asked you about that you think that needs to be brought up? It's the concept that, you know, most of us every day put the resident at the center of everything we do, the people we care for, whether it's in a nursing home or assisted living or whatever part of this elder care industry you work with. The one thing I would challenge people to do to think more about is put the employee in the center of what we do, the associate, the person who delivers the services to that resident. It's easily forgotten. Sometimes we get pulled into the things that don't go right. And we don't do sometimes enough looking to the things that do. Banking, you know, one other thing you asked about COVID that I think will endure is as leaders, we've spent a lot more time thanking people for showing up and doing all the things they did to keep people safe through this pandemic. And we better keep that as we go away from it. Because I can remember how I learned to manage back when I was a kid is everything I didn't like about my managers. Don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. And I've tried to live that way as not to fall into those practices that I hated when I was that 16-year-old kid that thought he knew everything and my manager would do whatever they do. And I'd be like, just have that look on my face like, that's a terrible thing to say or do. You know, learn like that. I like your last point about being kind of employee-centered and employee-centered. And uh, there's a CEO from Wisconsin that I'm interviewing next week. And specifically, it's about how she's trying to create a program that is like patient-centered care. And she calls it employee-centered environment. She's bringing in consultants and how she's trying to really change that with her staff. So I will have a follow-up and I'll, I'll send it your way. Todd, to wrap things up, you mentioned you are going on 50 and you started in, in the industry when you were 17. That's a lot of time to learn a lot. What advice would you give to your younger self? Listen to listen, not to talk. Listen to what people tell you, the advice that are out there, pay attention to what's around you, learn from, learn from your mistakes. I mean, simple stuff. It's easy to say, but it's harder to do. Don't make the same mistake twice. You know, all those euphemisms that we all roll our eyes at sometimes, they're really pertinent things. And then I would say that the biggest one, be reflective. Realize your part in whatever. It's easy to be angry with someone else, to feel like somebody else isn't pulling their weight or doing whatever. Be reflective because they have a point of view that's not the same one maybe that you have. I like to use the term look in the mirror every now and again. Look in the mirror every now and again and say, do I like what I see? Have I, have I grown as a person? Have I grown as a parent? Have I grown as a colleague? You know, Have I called that person I haven't talked to in a long time that's going through a hard thing just to check in and say, I'm thinking about you? you know, all that kind of stuff as I sit here and think my younger self would have never done that. I would have waited till the next time I saw somebody to ask how they were doing 
now I make a point. I just did it this morning. I have a colleague that I reached out to this morning to say, hey, how you doing? We haven't talked in a while. And we had a wonderful hour conversation about nothing in particular, but it was so nice you know, to hear their voice and to make that connection again. And I think that's what I, the advice I would give is be a student, always be a student, always be learned and always, you know, try to apply it to your personal life as much as your business life. Great advice, Todd. Thank you so much for joining us on LTC Heroes. I know some of the listeners are going to want to reach out to you. Where can we find you online? Well, I don't do Facebook. My wife makes me do Instagram because of our dogs. So that's the only thing that I never post anything, but LinkedIn, obviously I'm, I'm there on LinkedIn. So you can find me there and I'm sure you're going to send out some contact information. I'd love to talk to anybody and if you've got advice for me. I'd like to hear that too. So those of you who are listening, if you think I'm crazy and want to have a debate, I'd love to do that too. <laughs> well, I know that you're definitely approachable. This is the third or fourth time that we've already been on the phone together. You can tell in my voice that it's always a thrill to talk to you and I'm sure we'll stay in touch. I hope the listeners reach out to you uh, as you and I've also created this unique relationship in LTC. Thank you so much for joining me on the program and I look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Visit ltcheroes.com to join our Facebook group for nurses and our exclusive LinkedIn group for LTC owners. Visit ltcheroes.com for your exclusive access today. This episode was brought to you by Experience.Care, the long-term care EHR backed by guarantees. Visit Experience.Care forward slash guarantee to get your free profitability consultation today.